and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Father, we thank you, and we're always careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. I ask, Lord God, that you continue to open our eyes to what you have for us, way beyond. No eye has seen. For only you know the plans you have for us, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper us, give us the hope, and so much more. In Jesus' name I pray. We all said, Amen. Amen. About three weeks ago, or maybe at least three weeks ago, maybe two and a half, two weeks ago, time just goes on. We talked about, uh, and we found out, we discussed the idea of what is wealth. And what is our attitude? What should be the proper attitude toward wealth? And, and how does God want us to express our life in the area of our finances? And we, we learned, we leave everything behind. We leave everything. I don't care what you have. Everything can be left here. Based on our attitude, we determine what our wealth can create. It doesn't take a break to get ahead, or it doesn't take money to make money, or you, you can't be too honest. No. Our, our ideal, our attitude is what determines what God wants to entrust to you. Right? But we know this. The gaining of wealth as an end, if that's all you want to do, is a waste, is a poor investment of a life. The correct attitude is to seek God's purpose for what he supplies to us. Most people don't do that. They don't seek God's purpose for everything they get. They get and they seek their purpose and then they, they schedule God in on a weekend. We must learn to trust God in all our circumstances and it is possible to, despite the trouble, to have perfect peace with everything we own. And, and we learned this, it's very important. We learned this. Money is a training ground for God to develop our trustworthiness. Why money? Because that's something that you talk about every day. Right? You use. And God is a jealous God. He would rather have us talk about him every day. Could you imagine if we talked about him as much as we talk about our money, how much love and how much we would know about him? But that's not the reality of the world we live in. So there's guys that clearly define when God is not in control. He says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 11 and 12. We read this last, well, a couple weeks ago. So if you, are not, you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So God is always developing us, brings us to a level, and he wants to train us, not just to train us and mess with us, but to take us to another level. Right? So you want property? Well, how are you handling what you have now? And God watches that. If you abuse, say you're renting a house or renting a church building and you abuse it, don't, don't take care of it. Why should God give you something of your own? So all these things, you think he doesn't look at all this stuff? Sure he does. Because he wants to bless you, but he needs to develop us to be good disciples. We know this, God will never use your money to, to bring worry or to corrupt you or to build your ego. 
So even if now, if you're worried about this message, that's not God. He won't corrupt you because, you know, money will corrupt. You know, what I've said many times, if you're a pervert and we give you a million dollars, you'll be a big pervert. It'll, it'll magnify you. Whatever you are, it'll magnify you. If you're a giver and you're giving more money, guess what? You'll give more. Right? Whatever you are. If you like make, making little tiny videos on your phone and we give you a million dollars, you'll buy a camera and make bigger. You'll make movies because money is a magnifier of who you are. So God is so concerned. He has to develop who you are so that he can bless you. Because listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. God is in the blessing business and he wants to bless you. But think about this. Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people, some people craving money wandered from the truth of the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now this is a fact. <laughs> but So if he doesn't deal with your love quotient first before he gives you money, wealth, and finances, if he doesn't deal with who you love and what you love first, then if he gave some of us money, he might as well say, go to hell. Because most people can't handle money. And it's very evident in your tithing record. See, God will not use money just to satisfy your, our every whim and desire. God will not allow Christians just to hoard money as well. So these are measuring tools that God is looking. He wants to give you something. And, and like I said last message, listen, you don't need God to make money. You know what you need? All you need is a job. And if you want to make more money, get an education, and you can do all, you can do all that without God. But listen, when it's without God and it's not, not applied to his principle, that money is without God. You're on your own. And since most of the world lives that way, it seems okay. But, say but, but if you want God's blessing, then you have to do it God's way. Matthew 16, 19 reads like this, and this is God talking about money. Because we know it's the root of all of the love of money, not money, it's the love of money. So he's dealing with our love area. And he also says this, do not store treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. When I read that, I think about that. I think about a man like Bill Gates. He's worth $90 billion. He's storing up a lot of money here on earth. But when he dies, guess what? Roths, moths, and rust will get to it. See, if I'm Bill Gates and I got that money, I'm going to be like the gentleman we talked about uh, um, who died um, in, uh, from Utah. Oh, I, I, his name escapes me. Who said he wanted to give all his money away. And he was worth $4.3 billion. And he gave it all away before he died. And he died. He was eight, 90 years, 92 years old. I'm trying to think of his name. It'll come to me. No, no, not Warren Buffett. He's still alive. Um, but it'll come to you later. But nonetheless, what I'm saying is, if where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Bill Gates should begin to, if he gets saved, use all his wealth to win souls for God's honor and glory. Could you imagine if a man like that got saved? The damage he can do in the kingdom of darkness? But people, we have a tendency to store treasure here on earth. So how is God's will expressed? It begins with a proper understanding of stewardship. Stewardship is not a Christian fundraising fun activity. 
A steward is one who manages another's property. And I use the example of if you've ever been on a, a ship or if you ever go to a, a hotel, you go to a nice hotel like in downtown Denver, you know, on the 16th Street Mall, and you go in there, they have this guy, he walks in, he, he has all the answers, knows where everything's at. He takes, can I take your bag? Can I do this? I mean, they take care of everything. Do you need anything? Room service, blah, blah, blah. They let you have it. Yeah, get down, all right. He's a steward. All of his job is to take care of you. He doesn't, he doesn't own the hotel, right? But he manages the hotel, and he knows where everything's at. He goes, you need food? I got food. Right, you need a drink? I got a drink. You need a bigger bed, a nicer, you need more blankets, you need anything? I got you covered. But he doesn't own the hotel. He's a steward. He manages it. Well, in like manner, that's how we are. A, a Christian should understand that everything they have, it's not yours. It belongs to God. So, so you, God, you, and people come into your presence, into your home, into your realm, across your path. Then you're saying, you need anything? Anything I can do for you? You know why? Because I don't own anything. All this belongs to God. I'm just a steward handling it. That's God's perspective of how we should handle what we have. See, while on earth, we're merely stewards of God's property. The Bible said the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing here, right? And so everything is his. I don't care where you live. If you say you're Christian, then you're saying, if you're really a Christian, that your house belongs to God. Well, uh, but, but, no, but no, no, your house belongs to God. You got to understand this. Your house belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Your dog belongs to God. Everything you got belongs to God. If you're a steward. Now, if you're just a, a human passing through the church every now and then, and everything is yours. That's how the world does it. So we have to choose who we're going to serve. Well, See, God chooses to entrust us with as much or as little as he desires. It's up to God. And in no case do we ever actually take ownership. And when we try to take ownership, that is where the problem begins. Right? In your life. Because God will test you throughout your lifetime, and he'll ask you to do certain things that make no sense, right? Like he might have some crazy pastor in Victor Arch, Colorado Street, do a pledge. Make no sense. Why? Because he wants to see what you can say with your mouth, all this all belongs to God, until God says, okay, let's do this. Oh, well, <laughs> I kind of belong to God. See, here's where the bean meets the tortilla, right? Here is where the, uh, the salsa gets dipped by the chip, right here. All this other stuff, just talking when you come in, oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus. That's all my mom was says, puro weedy weedy. Weedy weedy, nothing but talk, right? See, when we try to take ownership, we are depending on what Satan and this world can supply. Because God is no longer in charge. We are. We're depending on what we can achieve through our own self-will. And, and I told you earlier that you don't need God to make money. You need a job and good health. Now, understanding this, God gives you the health, right? But he is a gentleman. He's going to let you do what you're going to do. Hmm? So, when we operate in our role as a steward or manager of God's resources, this is what happens. And I've seen it time and time again. My first example is, is Pastor Steve. My second example is Pastor Sonny. 
You got to say, some people don't, you know, if you're new to Victor Outreach, we always talk about these men because there are examples. But Pastor Sonny, he, he was the first documented heroin addict to be delivered by Jesus Christ. The first. In and out of prison. Jail. Nikki Cruz. In and out of prison. Gang member. The first gang member delivered by Jesus Christ. Right? So these are my, that's my, my, my spiritual father, my mentor. He's my spiritual dad, but he took the role. He's like, this, this guy always beats me up when I'm not doing right. Amen? And that, that, that's Pastor Sonny. He's the founder. And these are my examples. And so you see how God began to give them little. And as they were faithful and started winning souls. All they did was win souls. Win souls. Where your treasure is, right there will your heart be also. So they, and it says, don't store treasure here on earth, but in, on, in heaven. Right? And so they focused on that. And look what has happened to their life. And as they continue to focus, despite the trouble, the trial, the tribulation, God began to give them more. See, God will entrust more and more to us. That's, I, that's the only thing I, I can attribute to the fact that Victor Average has grown, grown globally, because this is all part of Pastor Sonny's ministry, and it's grown, grown globally because he has focused on what he's supposed to focus on, and that is people. Not just comfort. Comfort's cool, but you also have to focus on what God cares about, the lost. See, God will not entrust property to those who he knows will only hoard it. Keep it to themselves. But I'm going to take, you know, you said, the Bible says, if I don't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel. Shut up. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, we're talking about hoarding to yourself and not storing up treasures in heaven. That's very easy to determine. And the only thing that's going to get to heaven are souls. That's it. Not your car. Right? Not your house. Our souls. And that's where God said, that's where you got to store up your treasure. Use what you have here to do that, and I'm going to take care of you, basically, is what he's saying. Hmm? See, Proverbs 28, 26 reads like this. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's pretty heavy. I hear people say, oh, God knows my heart. Let me read this again. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. God is looking over the entire earth for men and women who have the proper attitude toward their money, towards their resources. Huh? People who will use it according to his direction. People who will not spend solely according to their own interests, but they will also consider the interests of others. We're not saying don't take care of yourself. Of course, you buy a nice house. You know, like I've told people, I've learned how to serve God with no money. And that's cool. And I learned how to serve God with money. And listen, if we do it right, I'd rather, much rather serve God with money. Hello? I'd rather cruise around in my Lincoln than in a beat-up VW bug. But it, it, it is contingent, if I want God's blessing, on whether I'm storing up treasures in heaven. So when I look around, you're a part of my treasure chest. That's, all, that's what it is. I have to, and that's why I want to fill this church, because I want to store up more treasures in heaven. Because eventually, listen, eventually we're all going to die. How many know that? We're all going to die. And when that happens, that's when the Holy Ghost account begins to take count. And say, okay, you've done well. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. That's what I'm looking forward to. Right? Every parable Christ left about money. We're talking about every parable, that, every story that Jesus gave tells us about the attitude he desires. It's not so much, the, we're not focusing on the money like Pastor Sam said earlier. It's not about the money. Giving and, and how you handle money is not an issue of money. It's an issue of your heart. It's an issue of your heart. And God is looking. He called the three in three servants in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. We're going to sit there for a little while. And he talks about the master was going on a trip. And really, it, it, it's talking about Jesus ascending to heaven. He's taking off the master. He's going on a trip. And he called in three servants telling them, I'm taking a long trip and entrusting you, your, you with, and to handle all my treasure, all my talent, all this on my behalf. I'm taking off, and I need you to handle this. That's the story. You guys know that story? And every parable, Jesus is looking at our heart. To the first, he gave five talents. Remember that one? The second, he gave two talents. The third, he gave one talent. But he gave them talents, each according to their own ability. And that's very important. You're only going to get from God according to your own ability. Right? Verse 14 of Matthew 25. Let's all turn there. And it says there, again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called a servant and trusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Again, he didn't give them each the same. He gave them according to their physical, worldly ability they possess. So every one of us has a talent. Look at your neighbor. Are you a five, three, or a one? See, I want to be a five. You know what I'm saying? Some people are good with one. I don't know. I'm not good with one. I want at least, you know, 1.5, 2.3, 5, 3. So he gave out talent. So in essence, when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send another Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is our agent, the agent that works on earth now. Jesus is not here no more. The Holy Spirit's here. He is the one who leads us and directs us. And he entrusts us with the talent that he gives. Amen? Verse 16. The man who received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Five plus five is ten. So also the one with two talents gained two more. Two times two is four. <clears throat> They're doing good, right? But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid, it, hid his master's money. I mean, he came to church, I guess. After a long time, verse 19, the master of the, those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There's the story. So, and in this, there are six principles of wisdom for our finances. First, God will entrust to us what is within our ability, not beyond it. Why? Because he knows what we're capable of, and there'll be no excuse. So, well, you ask too much of me, God. You can, no, no, he's not going to ask too much. He's, he's going to ask just enough. He never gives you more than you can handle. Amen? Two, God is the owner, and he has the right to recover what is given to us to manage. So God is the owner. He's going to come one day. Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to want to recover what he gave you to manage. That's the second principle. Let's read, keep, keep reading this story so you can understand where we're going. Verse 20. The man who had received five talents 
brought the other five. Master, you said, you entrusted me with five, these five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See the, see the principle? You did good. Man, I'm going to give you more. Man, come on, let's go party. They're happy, right? Verse 22. The man with two talents came to Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent, now what should he have done without reading no more? He should have turned that one into what? Two. According to his talent, right? But let's read the story. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man. The excuses start. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Excuse number two. He was a chicken. I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your tail in the ground. See? It's here. What belongs to you? I gave it back. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Third principle we find is God thoroughly, thoroughly disapproves of laziness on our part. I ain't, I'm, I'm tired. I'm too lazy. I ain't got the time. God disapproves of a lazy person. You didn't, you didn't, I'm, 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 I'm meddling now. I'm not just preaching right now. I'm meddling, huh? See, he expects multiplication of our assets. He leaves us. In other words, wherever you're at, he expects multiplication. He expects you to improve. It's not like, oh, you should improve. No, he expects you to improve. Now, listen, I say this to Victor Raj. If you start on welfare, you're not to stay on welfare. You're, you, you can use it at the get, but he expects you to improve. So you get there. Praise God, we live in the United States of America where we have a safety net that when we need help, we got it. Well, let's use it. But if you stay there and turn the government into your sugar daddy, listen, my friend, you are in danger. The government's not your sugar daddy. Uncle Sam doesn't really want you. Are you kidding me? Right? You use it. He expects where you're at to double it. Get out where you're at. And then, then once you get there, you get your first little job in McDonald's. And McDonald's is a good job. It's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Wendy's or whatever. At least you're working. When you start doing that and you do good, you become the best flipper, hamburger, flipper. I don't care. You take over that McDonald's. But you become the manager. You become the, the general manager. You, you run the region. The next thing you're in charge of 200 restaurants. Why? Because I, I was flipping burgers. Now I'm flipping people. Because he expects you to improve. He expects you to grow. Nothing short. Of excellence. That's what he wants. So we're not called just to maintain what we have. We're called to grow. Fourth principle means multiplication is to be achieved according to one's ability. In other words, God does not expect you to add to yourself. He expects you to multiply yourself. You gave me five, I doubled. Here's ten. Not just, you gave me five, here's six. No, 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 no. He doesn't want that. He wants multiplication, not addition. So when God is blessing you, you're not adding, you're multiplying. Right? So we're, we're like, the, we should be the original, we don't die, we multiply. Amen? We, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about when I say that one, amen? 
Multiplication is achieved according to one's ability. If you have five, then you should go ten. If you have two, you should go four. If you have three, you have six. We should always multiply, not just add. When you add, that's not God. That's the world system. And if you're not careful, that's the devil. God always multiplies. Hmm? Verse 27, let's keep reading that story because I like it. Matthew 25. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. So the one who just buried it, you, you don't even need, you don't, you don't deserve a talent. Give me your talent. Take, he said, take what that guy has or that woman has, now give it to the one with 10. It almost seems unfair. I go, what do you mean the one with 10? You know, so how, the, how you hear nowadays, it has to be shared or equal, you know. No, it's not, God's not a communist. The one who has the most got it. Why? You know why? Because God's a wise businessman. He goes, why should I give it to this guy or this one? I'm going to give it to the one who knows how to really double it. He had 10, he had 5, made 10, give him another one. Right, because he'll have, then he'll have 11. Guess what? He'll double that and make it 22. So give it to him. So God begins to shift from the lazy to the one who works the hardest. Give it to him. You ever notice that the ones who work the hardest gain the most? Amazing thing a little hard work does to you, huh? The next principle, number five. God expects those to invest who have the ability. You need to invest what you have. Now, I'm not talking about the stock market, although I'm not against the stock market, as long as you use the gains wisely and you use it to expand his kingdom. Not only expand your crib, and that's cool too, but don't just use it for that. Use it to expand his kingdom. Then you got something going on with God. Because God will see that. Oh, man, nice pad. Oh, and you help reach more souls, too. You're doing good with your money. You're doing real good with your money. Because God is very practical. And he's looking at you. Lastly, six, God also expects to return. The return of what is given. In other words, God may say, give it to me all. He did it to the rich and young ruler, and the Bible says that the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had so much money, and he couldn't just give it all up. And then the story goes on to say that it is very hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now think about that. There, there are certain warning signs about money, because some people, really, some of you shouldn't get money, because you might, might not make it to heaven, right? Some of you should, or some of you are like, no, nah, you better stay poor because you'll go to hell, right? Now, First it says, store up your treasure in heaven. And most people don't do that. The second thing he says is the root of all evil. Now, now we're not going to, some of you, all evil is the love of money. And so sometimes your heart is off and, and, and that's dangerous. And this last one, it says, God also expects the return of what is given. See, these are the things that are very dangerous for those who don't manage it well. Because when he comes back and he says, you're doing good. You got a Lexus? Ooh, nice. You got a nice pad? Yeah, oh, wonderful. I need you to sell it all now. Why? Because I got a calling for you to go to East Asia. And obviously he says, no, I like my furniture. I like, oh, okay. So all that other stuff was just a front. You were playing church. Right? 
Now, does he do that to everybody? Of course not. If he did it for everybody, we'd have an empty church. But there are some. As a matter of fact, there are some even now that know that's you. Well, the reason I say that, because when I came to church, I was a very wealthy man. For a young man, 25 years old, I was making $9,000 a month. We had a lot of money. And when I walked in that door, I knew, I got to call a God. And then I heard preaching, and I heard preaching like this, and I go, that fool want my money. You didn't say that. I said that. I go, that brother want my money. I know he does. I could tell. And it wasn't him. It was God saying, are you willing to give it up for me? Now, listen, it took me a while. I was with my pastor and became his assistant pastor. and was there with, for 11 years until finally I, I sold it all, gave it all up. In fact, the devil tried one last trick to get me before I came here. I literally, literally weeks, a couple weeks before I was scheduled to come and, and, and drive because we had a rental truck ready to leave. I get a phone call from Annie Landavassos. You know Annie Landavassos? Owns Landavassos Concrete. Well, she's passed away, but uh, her kids own Landavassos. They, they do all the, the, the foundations for all the skyscrapers in San Francisco. Well, she was a very nice lady. Knew my family since I was a little baby. She had a house. That was our, the house we used for our, our reentry home. We had 28 crazy men in our home. Pastors coming out. Jesus freaks, right? And I'm getting ready to leave. She goes, Al, Pastor Al. She goes, Pastor Al, you don't have to go. I go, why? He goes, I want you to take the house. And I said, ooh, ooh, I want to take the house. I did. But I said, but I can't because I leave in two weeks and I can't take the house. So I packed up and drove here. Why? Because the enemy knows that we're just people. We like things. Don't we? Come on now. Don't look at me like not me. We all like things. We like things. We're wearing things, Right? Zapatos, you know, dresses. We like things. And so the enemy uses those, our uh, tendency to like things to keep us from God's ministry. So we have to learn to. Go ahead, give the hand, Lord a hand of praise. If God calls us. And that is not so much to ask. Because listen, we're going to die. That stuff doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But we put so much emphasis on that, and we lose our wisdom in money. Then that's when money becomes your lure. And then the love creeps in, and you begin to love money. And the love, that root of evil, is not just what we think evil, like, oh, demonic. No, means to love less. In other words, you love God less than you love your money. How do you know? Oh, I know. I mean, if the fact of the matter for the United States of America that less than 20% of the church tithes, that tells me the church is full of people who love God less than their money. Oh, we can't call it evil because you know, this pastor right here must be crazy. But that's the fact. So we have to understand. And this battle I'm talking about, Pastor Sam alluded to it, is a continual battle. Because the moment you start getting faithful in your tithing, what happened? The devil said, oh, okay, I'm going to really, I'm going to test you. The devil come at you, start hitting you, man, hitting you, and hitting you. You think, man, God, I'm tithing, and I'm going through all this mess. What's wrong with you? Well, you think the devil is going to let you off the hook that easy? You think the world system is going to roll? Oh, okay, you decided to get saved? Now go ahead. <laughs> it's a battle. It's a brutal battle. Huh? How can we seek God's wisdom in, in, in our finances? If we pray anything in his will, believe him, it shall be given to us. Now, God's will and his ways 
do not always agree with, with our ways. And that's the problem. We say, I'm going to pray, God, I'm believing. But God is saying, but that's not what I want for you. In fact, all that turmoil that you're going through, I've sent it. Oh, no. Because I've been trying to get your attention. You ain't listening to me. You're, you're watching too much movies on, on, on Cinemax. You're too busy with HBO. I can't get you on Saturdays or Sundays because you're too busy watching the Broncos and the Raiders. You're too busy watching this and doing this. I'm trying to get your attention. So I know how to get your attention. I start squeezing George Washington and Ben Franklin right, right out of your wallet. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, what? You want me, God? Because your wallet is sucking you right to the presence of God. Why? Because he's got to get your attention. Huh? And that's the reality. That, that's where we're at. That's where people are at. That's where we live. Can, can somebody say amen? That's where we live. So when we turn our finances over to God, we must be willing to accept His direction. Not your direction. Well. So we all, we all have, have been guilty of moving forward without any clear direction, right? I mean, I, I got to raise everything. We've all been guilty of that, right? But, and there's nothing wrong, listen, with asking God for, for guidance. And the simple things, God, should I buy this? God, should I do this? Don't just, when you get this inkling, I want this. I want, I want, I want, I want, mm, I want. Because that's how people walk around like a big fat stomach. I want, yum, 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 yum. See, it is wrong to go our own way and expect God to bail us out. Oh, I overdid this, I overdid this, I overdid this. God, can you help me out? What if God says, no? You got to go through it now. No, you should have asked me before you went. You never forget that God's wisdom is superior to ours. When we, when we don't trust in God, this is a form of bondage. This is the bondage we're all under because the world teaches this. Look out for me, myself, and Irene. I mean, you know what I mean? Well, it's us, just me. I, I, I'm the el mero mero. You know what I mean by el mero mero? Let me give you the, the interpretation. I'm the one and only. I'm the most important. Right? And we think that. We believe that. I'd share your story, but I don't want to tell it myself. Let me move on real quick. So what is freedom? I'm coming for landing. Christians must recognize or be able to recognize financial bondage while knowing how to achieve freedom. Financial freedom consists of basically three components. When you're financially free, you have relief from worry and tension about overdue bills. Now notice I say about overdue bills. Why? Because when you're free, to, doesn't mean you don't have overdue bills. You may have. But you're free because somehow God, you know it, God's going to take care of you. You know, I had a, my father didn't get saved. I lived the Lord. He was older, much, much older. But that guy had some wisdom. Man, he had wisdom. And he would tell me things, and they were biblical principles. I don't know where he got it from. I know he wasn't in church. Not until later on, 
But he would tell me this. So I'm going to let you know something. And this helped me a lot. He goes, because I would, I would worry. And I had a lot of money. I was the kind of guy, I wouldn't walk out. My wife knows when she met me, I think that's what, what the first thing attracted. She see my, my big old wad of cat. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I would not walk out my house without a rose of hundreds. If it was, it was 500 to 1,000, I would not leave my house because I trusted. I trusted. I trusted. How you guys, how you guys doing in there? You guys got my back? Yeah, we got your back. All right, all right. I didn't trust in God. Well, so when the bills came, and I'd be all worried, my dad would say, do you have the money to pay? Go, no, I don't have the money to pay. Well, why are you worried about it? I go, and I look at him, I go, what? What are you saying? He goes, oh, listen, son. If you had the money, and you didn't pay it, then you should go to And the problem is, most of us, if not all of us, we have the money, use the money for wrong things and then we don't pay our bills that's why you worry so I said well that's pretty heavy dad you're a heavy dude so I so from that moment on I made sure that I, I did well with my money right because I didn't want to worry about it and so I learned so now I do everything according to God's plan we tithe we give we now we give offerings to we're giving offering for everything we're giving oh you don't know this we're giving a pledge to Cuba to help them with their church right do we have the money? No. But we're going to give it anyway. Because we're going to get the money. Because Cuba is part of Victor Irish. That's part of our family. And that's what Pastor Sonny wants us to do. And so if Pastor Sonny wants us to do it, guess what we do? That's what we do. Amen? And we do it. And I, and I know this. I go, God, I got to give this pledge. And you're going to come through. Why? Because since I'm doing His will, listen, it's His bill. Now, I can say that. As long as I'm doing His will, it's His bill. Now, if you're not doing His will, it's your bill. So go ahead with your bad self and all your bills. Hmm? Number two, a clear Christian conscience before God and before others. It's freedom. You have a clear conscience. Right? You, you have no, you're not, you, you have, you're not, look at everybody, I'm cool with everybody. They have a clear conscience. That's, that's freedom. It's like that brother who, who took you a hundred bucks and like, he owes you a hundred dollars. Anybody ever owe you a hundred dollars? You give them some money and they avoid you? Listen, I, I really believe when that happens, God did you a favor. It only cost you a hundred bucks to get rid of them. You did, man, did you right? Right? But if you have a clear conscience, you have a clear conscience. You're cool. Right? Number three, the absolute assurance that God is in control. You know that you know that somehow God is always in control and He's always going to come through. He always has. He's never let you down and He never will. And you know that. You know that. So you're not, you're not, you're not as concerned with your, your balance of your checkbook. If you're, looking, you're more concerned with the balance of your checkbook than being faithful to God, you are in, under bondage. Money is your God. See, a Christian's life will not totally be void of financial difficulties. Can I say it again? Because sometimes God wants to see what you're made of. Right? We can all talk to talk. 
But he wants to see, not, not that he wants to see, he wants you to see what you mean. God will allow the consequences of earlier actions, maybe, just to reinforce a lesson. God does not promise to remove every difficult situation. Sometimes he, he allows a difficult situation, and what he does, I've shared before, when you have that mountain, he doesn't remove the mountain. He gives you new boots and some rope and says, now start walking. You got a mountain to cover. And he gives you the strength, the courage to complete the, the task. See, but no matter what the circumstances are, I don't care how bad it gets, somehow you have the peace of God. Because God promises peace. So when, when God manages our finances, we need not worry. He's the master of the universe. It is his wisdom we are seeking. He'll take care of the problem. Hello, somebody. The problem is that we are still human beings and subject to make mistakes. Hello. It is possible to step out of his will a little bit. When you do that, God will get your attention. And oftentimes he uses finances. If you're married, he uses your wife like every 30 seconds or your husband to get you in track. But if you're not married, he'll, he'll, get, he'll use your other wife to call your dollar bills, your money, amen, to get your attention. And as soon as we admit the error and let God resume control, we're back under his guidance. The key is you got to admit your error and get back under his control. Once you accept and experience financial freedom, there will never be a desire to get outside of God's will, no matter how hard it gets, once you've experienced it. So I know, it doesn't matter. I've been doing ministry for a long time now, and ministry is a trip. Basically, it's this. Ministry. This is what God had to tell me. Okay, now, you know the people you're reaching? Said, yeah, man. Treasure of darkness. Okay, you have to trust that somehow I'm going to get a hold of them, and somehow they're going to get your back, and somehow they're going to learn to tithe, and somehow they're going to learn to give, and you're going to build a church. And I look up to heaven. Is there anybody else up there? That's not a very good plan. But despite that, which seems impossible, right? Isn't that like a tough gig? Despite how hard that is, God has always come through. And he hasn't come through with a multimillionaire. I'm still waiting for one. Why, he kind of did when they got us in the, the, the dome and the and the campus, he was a multimillionaire, but he's not in our church, but, but the way he basically did it is raise guys and girls out of the home that, that, that caught the vision, and they went over here, boom, and became leaders. Now, not all of them were home. Sam wasn't, but he, he caught the vision, right? My, my son, well, he wasn't home. He lived in the home for like all his life, right? But everybody else here has been in the home. Right? And they caught it. And somehow, God is using that, that formula for us. And that, that doesn't always have that way. Sometimes people come to church. But when they come through the door, it's a little difficult because they look at us and they say, these people are nuts. And listen, if you're new, let me, let me let you off the hook. Yeah, we are nuts. We're kind of crazy. We're kind of crazy for Jesus. We kind of believe that God is in control. We kind of believe that he owns everything. And we kind of believe that we are called to reach every inner city of the world. That's what we kind of believe it. We are crazy enough to believe that. That's how crazy we are. See, once you experience, as we close, 
and you live in financial freedom, you have freedom from the bondage of debts, you have freedom from the oppression of others, you have freedom from envy, covetousness, and greed, you have freedom from resentfulness. No, you're free because you transferred ownership to God. You got to transfer ownership of every possession to God. This, this means what? Your money, your time, your family, material possession, your education, even your earning potential for the future, all that has to be transferred to God. Hmm? There's no substitute for that step. And everybody's got to do it on their own. You got to, like I always say, you got to earn your own bones. I can't do that for you. You know why? Because that's a tough, that's, what I just said is tough. It is not easy. To, if it was easy, are you kidding me? That is the toughest thing you ever do in your life, to transfer your complete ownership to God. Woo, Nelly. Especially if you got some stuff. If you ain't got nothing, I'll give it all to you, God. Yeah, right. Because you ain't got nothing. But when you get something, then what? That's the ticket. That's the ticket to reaching the world for Jesus. That's the ticket to seeing God move in your life. That's the ticket to, for you to experience the, the anointing and the unction of the Holy Ghost. That's the ticket. There's no other way. There's no easy way. You can't buy it. No, you can't, you can't, you can't manufacture this. Oh, you could probably build a, a large organization and cause people to come in, but there'll be anointing. It'll be a group of phonies coming in just to say, how are you doing? We come to church. But ask them, would you sell everything right now and leave everything and go do something? I can't do that. I have business interest. So what good is all that stuff you got? Well, not Victor Irish. Will, will that happen to you, all of you again? No, don't worry. Some of you don't, don't get afraid. Some of you got a call in your life. We're not normal ministry. Some of you got a call in your life to give your life. Pastor Sonny's cry, we're meeting, we have regional meetings, and you know what he said? He goes, this generation, for some reason, the devil has gotten in, and they're not willing to give their life up to, to, for God and to give their entire life. And we ask them, they go, they go, what are you going to do with your life? The question, what are you going to do? And they say, well, I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to get a career, and then, you know, I, I'm dating this girl, we're going to get married, and I want to have kids, and, and I'm going to be faithful to the church. I go, yeah, but are you willing to give your life for God? And almost real high numbers, I won't even say the numbers, they said, no. And he's worried. How, how, how can we raise up a generation? He's going to say, no, I'll go. I want to give my life to God. I'll, I'll, I'll surrender everything for the gospel. I'll go. Why? Ah, because the wrong type of spirit got into our churches. Many people understand that God's in charge. We haven't transferred ownership. People want to own things. They don't want to manage things. They don't want to be the steward of their property. They, they want to be the king of their property. And God said he will have no other kings before him. There'll be no other gods before him. So when you make a transfer, total transfer for, of everything to God, then he will demonstrate his ability. When you make a total transfer, God will keep his promise. He will provide every need according to his will, to his perfect plan, physical, material, spiritual. Uh, it's simple to say I make total transfer. Uh, but it's not that simple to do.
It was all custom and self-management. Really control. Now listen, things may be awkward at, at times when you're making that transfer. Because I really believe people are in that process of making a complete transfer. Right? They're there. Remember this. Financial freedom coming comes from knowing that God is in complete control. When he's in complete control of your life, you ain't tripping on nothing. Believe me. I tell people all the time, I may not know exactly where God has taken me. But I know this. I'm confident in one thing. I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. See, we have to get on the right track. On every above, on every I want to pray for those who want to get on the right track. Who understand that they, that they want to take that journey of transferring complete ownership. Complete ownership to God. If that's you, and we sing a song, sing this, this chorus, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God give you the wisdom, the courage, to make that transfer from you being the owner to God being the owner. The altar door. Yeah. Yeah.